Uh, here we go. Luke chapter 6, uh, starting verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Hey, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There's four things I want to share with you guys this morning as we walk through uh, this text, continuing this great sermon of Jesus. And here's the first. I think it's really, really important. I want you to understand this morning, it is hard to love your neighbor when you're constantly criticizing and condemning them. Right? It's, it's hard to love your neighbor when you're constantly criticizing and, and condemning them. And so last week we looked at the, the four tough commands of Christ. Right, Love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And, and we talked about the heart behind all those things. We're supposed to act that way because that's the way that God has acted towards us. God has loved us, God has been merciful towards us, and so we are called to love and to be merciful and gracious to others. And so in that same light, Jesus continues continues now his sermon, this, this one great talk, and, and he goes on to say in verse 37, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and, and you won't be condemned. Forgive and, and you'll be forgiven. Now, now uh, is, is Jesus, uh, you know, condemning uh, the court of law and, and judgments that happen there? Absolutely not. That, this text isn't about that. Well, it, it, what about, what about uh, judgment, you know, good judgment? Is he, is he saying we shouldn't stop and, and think and maybe even pray about things in life and, and try to make the right decisions? Absolutely not. That's not what he's talking about. What, what, what Jesus is addressing is the culture of criticism and condemnation that the religious leaders have created. Let me say that again. What, what Jesus is addressing is the culture of criticism and condemnation that the religious leaders have created. You see, the Pharisees are trying to force everyone else to be like them. That's their aim. So, so the Pharisees have this wrong idea about the kingdom of God. They believe if they can uh, make everybody else in society, all of the Jews, confirm, uh, conform to their rigorous religious rules, that, that, that God will be forced to come back and establish the kingdom. And in their mind, the kingdom is Israel. So they think if, if they can force everyone to, to do everything that they do, that God will be, he, God's hand will be forced. It, literally, that God in heaven will have to look down and go, oh my gosh, look at my people, they're so righteous, I've got to come back and raise up their nation again. That, now, that, now, now don't laugh, oh, oh Americans. Because this wrong theology is all up in our country today. We, 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 we're trying to force people to be like us, believing somehow God's going to come back and deliver our nation and rise us up again. Friends, I, I love you in Jesus' name, but study the Bible. Right? And, and so, so the Pharisees, this is what they're trying to do. And, and so they're, they're putting on all of, 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 of these religious rules upon other people 
And, and they're believing that, that, that if they do that, now here's what it creates. Because they have this wrong idea about the kingdom of God, because they have this wrong theology about the kingdom of God, um, they start to look down upon anyone that's not doing what they do. They look down on them. Oh, look at these guys over here. A bunch of drunkards and tax collectors. They're not observing the Sabbath. Look at those guys. Look at all the stuff that we do. These guys aren't doing any of it. Sinners. God will judge them. Do, do, do you hear it? Do, do you sense that when you read stories about the Pharisees, when you get into the Gospels? They, they, they judge people. They criticize people. They condemn people. And, and that critical judgmental spirit, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you, is contagious. Go study the Old Testament, specifically the wilderness wanderings with the Jews. Do do you remember how just a few cantankerous folks, just a few critical folks, spread like a plague amongst the Israelites? Spread like a plague. And that's what's going on with the Pharisees. And, and, And here's what Jesus says, guys, plainly. He just looks at his followers and says, like, you can't be that way. Like, that's not an option for you. you. You don't get to condemn people. You don't get to criticize people. You don't get to you know, live a life of constant complaint. That's not for you. Instead, you've got to love people. You've, you've got to forgive people. You, you can't be like the Pharisees. And this, in my opinion, is, is, is the Pharisees' greatest shortcoming, by the way, is, is you read through the Gospels, and you guys are doing that, by the way. That's awesome. When you run across the Pharisees, which you find time and time again is they lack compassion, right? And it's always contrasted by whoever's writing the gospel account. It can be Matthew, it can be Mark, it can be Luke. And, and anytime the Pharisees are mentioned, you always see that there's a lack of compassion. You know, we, we, we studied here in Luke that there's a man with a shriveled hand, his right hand, his hand of blessing, his hand of authority is completely shriveled. It's the Sabbath and they care not. They don't care that his hand is shriveled. They don't care that he's an outcast. They don't care that he can't worship God. They, they care not about any of that stuff. They're just looking to catch Jesus, right? They have zero compassion. And against that backdrop, Luke says, and then there's Jesus, who's healing everyone, who's healing the sick and raising the dead and making the blind see and making the lame walk. And he sees this man with a shriveled hand and he says, listen, the Sabbath isn't about rules. It's about the love of God for you. It's about the fact that God has is, is given you rest. And he says, what's better on the Sabbath to do good or to do, good, to do evil? Those are your choices. And he says, look, man, come here. Like, like straighten out your hand. And, and the, the shriveled hand is, is fully restored. Constantly, we see this backdrop. We see the Pharisees, this lack of love, this lack of compassion. And then we see Jesus against that backdrop, standing arms wide open, calling all people to himself all the messed up, all the misfits, having love and compassion on all of them. It says over and over, he had compassion on all of the crowds. So how do the, how do the Pharisees get so far off? How, how could they miss it? How could, how could the teachers of the law not get the second greatest command? Right? I mean, this is your job. You are a teacher of the law of God. This is what you do. And as such, how could you miss the second greatest command in all of Scripture, I'll tell you? Because you're so focused on what people are doing wrong that you actually have no room in your life to love them. You're so focused on all the things they're doing wrong. You're focused on on, on criticizing and condemning, and there is no room in your life left 
for love. It is hard to love your neighbor when you are constantly criticizing and condemning them. It's hard. Second thing I want you to see this morning. You guys aren't liking this Jesus stuff, are you? Like, can we study Paul or something? Come on. Two. Open hearts lead to open hands. Open hands lead to full lives. Open hearts lead to open hands. Open hands lead to full lives. Uh, 37 and 38, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It goes, launches straight into this, Jesus does. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured on to you. So all of this is a call to live differently because we have been forgiven by God in Jesus. Kind of covered that last week. People that have been forgiven of great debt, people uh, that have been forgiven of, of great sins are expected, according to Jesus, to extend that same kind of grace and forgiveness to other people. Remember, we looked at the parable of the unmerciful servant. So forgiveness from God is meant to open our hearts towards others. Okay? Forgiveness is designed to open our hearts towards others. And here's the cool thing. When we've received that kind of forgiveness and our hearts are open, open hearts have a side effect, according to the text. Open hearts have a side effect. You know, like you turn on the TV uh, later today and there'll be a drug commercial for something and it lists the 52 million side effects of taking that drug. It's gotten so bad, one of them, we were, we were, we, we watch, uh, we were watching Hulu or something, and it, so it runs the same ad over and over and over and over. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the ads was for a drug, and it says, it, it lists the drug name, and it says, do not take this drug if you're allergic to, and then it lists the drug name. I'm like, really? Like, isn't that the same? Like, don't eat peanut butter if you're allergic to peanut butter. Like, thank you, geniuses in the marketing department there. Way to go. We're just covering our basis, the lawyers are saying, right? When we receive the forgiveness of God, it, it, it forces us, it, it causes our hearts to become open. And when our hearts are open, um, other things in our life uh, begin to change too, right? So, so there's side effects. Open hearts, uh, for instance, um, lead to, to a change in our mouth. No longer do, do we criticize and condemn people. No longer do we curse them. Instead, we bless them. And we start to pray for them. It's just, it's just, it's just a, a side effect of an open heart. Once we've been forgiven, we have this open heart. Open heart leads to, to a different kind of living, so now our mouths are changed. But according to this text, it's not just your mouth that has changed. Your hands change too. And, and, and so you think about beforehand, before forgiveness, everything is mine. It's all mine. Mine, 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 mine. And so we take all the gifts of God and we guard them carefully. We guard them with our lives because we believe that this is our kingdom that we're building. And God intervenes with your life. And he says, no, there is a better kingdom. It's a kingdom that will last forever. Where all the stuff that you're trying to guard will not fade. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken away. Right? And, and, and so, so God begins to lay this out. This, this completely different kingdom. And so what happens when we receive the forgiveness of God, one of the side effects of this open heart, we get open hands. And we realize that God has been absurdly generous with us. 
And, and because of his absurd generosity, we're called to absurd generosity too. And so we start seeing people in need and we're like, listen, I've got the ability to help them. And something inside of me actually wants to. What's wrong with me? So we start giving, not just of our money, but of our time, our energy and our effort. But that's not all we give. We also give grace and, and, and we give love. And we give mercy because these two are all things that we've received. It's a side effect of forgiveness. Do you see it? That's, that's what Jesus is teaching here. He, he's literally saying one of the side effects of having an open heart is, is, is that it creates in us this desire to live open-handed. I've got a good friend I went to seminary with. And uh, he was in Louisiana and then he moved um, into Friendswood after I moved away. And his youth pastor, his name is Jesse McMillan. Um, recently was diagnosed with brain uh, cancer. Had, had brain tumor. Now, Jesse's a smart guy, uh, good pastor. They're planning a church. Um, he's very, very calculated, very controlled. He knows what he's doing. Just, just a sharp, sharp guy. He's always been a sharp guy. He said, you know what? When I was diagnosed with brain cancer and they had to go and they had to operate on my brain and take out um, massive like, parts of it, uh, he said, I realized at that moment that I had lived my entire life close-handed. I had tight control over everything and I realized that God was calling me out into a territory where I couldn't do that anymore, but I had to fully trust him. He said, so I did this exercise. I would literally sit down and I would put my hands on my, on my thighs and I would just open them up, palm, palm up. He called it living open-handed. And he said, it was crazy. And, you know, I, I had studied so much of how to share the gospel and how to be Jesus to people. And, and, but so much of it was about my control. But yet in the hospital, I couldn't do that anymore. I just live open-handed, and he said, it's amazing how God used this, uh, this terrible thing in my life and my family's life to share the gospel over and over and over and over. And the testimony of everybody that was there, even when Jesse wasn't completely with it, he's living open-handed, and he's sharing the gospel, and people are, like, they're being changed because of his life. Open heart has side effects. And one of those side effects is we live with open hands. And, and, and get this part. This is the really cool part. Uh, Living open-handed has a side effect too. A really good one, by the way. So when, when you receive that forgiveness of God and, and your heart opens up and you start to then open up your, your mouth and open up your hands, when you live this generous kind of lifestyle that Jesus calls us into, he says that you are going to get reward and, and your life is going to be full. And, 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 and listen to what he says. He says, to the measure uh, that you give, it's going to be given to you. And and then there's this phrase, he says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure that you use it, it's going to be measured to you. Now, that that, that phrase uh, had to do with measuring of grain. So if you think about grain, little kind of small thing, so like they they pour grain, and and, and the lap was typically, you had kind of a pocket, uh, you know, and they put it in your pocket, and they put the grain, but but they wouldn't just like load it in there, they'd put it in there, and then they would press it down. They would shake it together and get all of the air out. And then they would load it up above uh, the, the, the rim there. And, and, and you were just in abundance walking home going, wow, what a good measure I got. And God says, listen, for the measure that you give, it's going to be given to you. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel teacher. I'm not telling you that it's going to happen in this world. I think, honestly, it's probably a little bit of both. I think if you live generously in this world that there, there, there's going to be some reciprocity here in the world. I think there's going to be some people that, that when you're in need, they're going to fulfill that need because you've been so generous unto them. But I know the Bible calls us into living for stuff that we can't see yet. 
stuff that's eternal, eternal reward, storing our treasures in heaven. So that, 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 that's got to be it as well. And so when we live with open hands, when we give freely, not just of our time, not just of our energy, not just of our effort, but also of our grace and our mercy and our forgiveness, it will be returned to us here and in heaven in a good measure. Loaded up, pressed down, fit in more, shaken together. Get out any gaps of air, running over in abundance. Jesus says you will be full. Open hearts lead to open hands. Open hands lead to full lives. Genuinely full lives. Okay? Number three. See with me this morning that it's not enough to like Jesus. We've got to strive to be like Jesus. It's not enough to like Jesus. We must strive to be like Jesus Verse 39 and 40, it says, He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. I need you to kind of contextualize with me the uh, claims of the Pharisees in the light of who Jesus is. So let's just put some context on it. Um, The maker of heaven and earth... The creator of all is here. Like, he's, he's here. So, like, like, the one who formed and fashioned all, like, like, like God, is, is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is here. He's on the earth, okay? He's come to, to uh, literally, he's, he stepped out of eternity and into humanity to bring us back to God. He is here, and he is teaching us about um, the truth of God's heart and God's kingdom. That He's here. But there's another group of people that are here too. They're the Pharisees. And they say, listen, we know God and we know all about his kingdom and you need to follow us and you need to do it our way. And, and so, so, so they're teaching the commands of God without any of the heart obedience necessary. And, and, and they're saying, no, follow us. We know what we're doing. If you just do what we say, God's kingdom will come. And then here is Jesus who is actually bringing God's kingdom. He's standing there and these people are saying these things and he's going, no, don't follow them. Like, don't, don't, don't follow what they say. They say that they know God. They say that they know all about his kingdom. But I'm telling you, I'm kingdom come. I'm here and they don't see me. I'm God. How can they know God if they don't know me? I am God and they don't see me. They're blind. Don't follow them. You'll end up in a ditch. A terrible, eternal ditch. So Jesus is teaching these things. In, in the midst of this little parable, he lays out this little nugget of truth that we read past all the time. He says, listen, a student, that's who the Pharisees are, by the way, they're students. They can't be better than their teacher. See, in their day and age, by the way, there's, there wasn't like a, a, a great Jewish library that you could just go to and study up and, and be better than your teacher. And that day and age... Uh, your, your greatest hope was to find a really good teacher and, and the best that you could do is rise up to their level. You could, you could be like your teacher. That's the best you could do because that, that's where you got the information, right? Now today you could go and get a degree and you could go to school and all those kind of things, but I'm going to challenge you even in that. You know, you're never going to know any more knowledge than the people that wrote your textbook. You ever thought about that? Think, just, just let that sink in for a second. As much education as you take, you're never going to know any more knowledge than they actually put in the book, are you? So you, you can't ever rise above your teachers. 
Like, you just can't. Jesus says, listen, the aim of a disciple is not to be better than his teacher. The aim of the disciple is to be like his teacher. It's to be like his teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the goal of, of discipleship. Now, here, here's the deal. Jesus drew crowds, uh, like, like even crowds of Pharisees, everywhere he went. Even crowds of Pharisees. Everybody liked Jesus, okay? And the Pharisees even liked him, except for when he was talking about them, or talking about the fact that they didn't get him, or didn't see him, or that they were blind. I mean, other times, they, like, there were actually crowds of Pharisees, and they liked what Jesus talked. They liked that he, he spoke with authority. They liked that he took the things of God, the big concepts of God, and he broke them down into very simple teachings. They, they loved these aspects about Jesus, that, that he taught about the kingdom of God, about God's love, about loving God and loving people. They liked it. But here, Jesus makes this distinction between the crowds and the people that will eventually be called the Christians. And here's the distinction between the crowds and the followers that will eventually be called Christians. He says, disciples, his disciples, will be like him. They won't just like him. They won't just like, uh, well, well, oh, Jesus is so loving. You know, Jesus is so gracious. Oh, I love Jesus. He's just so compassionate. I just love that. Jesus says, no. If you're my follower, you can't just like the stuff I teach. You can't just like the stuff I do. You actually have to do it. A disciple is like, they have to be like their teacher, not just like what their teacher says. We live in this world that everybody, oh, I just love Jesus. I love the grace that he gives. I love the forgiveness available. I I love the way that that he always has compassion on people. And we go out and we are so uncompassionate. We don't have time for people. We don't want to get out in their mess because we just don't have, I don't have time for that. And Jesus says, well, no, let me me break this down for you. If you're going to be my follower, if you're going to call yourself by my name, you can't just like my teachings. You actually have to do the things I, I teach about. You have to be like me. That's what a disciple is. That's what we should be attaining to, trying to be like Jesus. Okay, number four, almost done. We cannot help take care of others if we do not first take care of ourselves. We cannot help take care of others if we do not first take care of ourselves. Uh, Verse 41 and 42 why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let me tell you what this is not. Uh, this is not uh, a couple of verses telling you that you can never help out your brother in, in Christ that's struggling. That's not, it's not saying, like, don't ever help out anybody that's struggling. It's not saying, well, well, you're just too bad, and so you can never. That's not what it's saying. Uh, the passage is actually calling you to help out your brother. Uh, but, but, but what it is saying is, guys, we have a tendency to see the slight imperfections in others while missing the large imperfections in our own lives. Again, because we're critical, right? And we can't love people if we're critical. So you're saying, listen, this is all part of the same sermon, right? So don't be so critical of others. Take a look in the mirror first. Let's, let's get healthy first, and then let's go help our brother. 
Here's the deal. People do need our help. So let the gravity of that sink in. There are people in your life, there are people in your family, there are people in your circle that need your help. They need your spiritual guidance. God has put you in their life on purpose. God puts people in our path on purpose. We learned that when we studied the book of Acts. Okay? And those people actually do need your spiritual help. They really, really do. But according to Jesus, you're not going to be in condition to give it if you're not taking care of yourself spiritually first. Okay? This is like when you get on the airplane, right? Which, by the way, like, you know, when you're flying from Austin to Dallas, who cares, right? Like, if we crash on the way there, like, I'm, I'm a goner anyway. So I, I don't care about the safety instructions. I'm like, it's a, but when you're flying over, like, the ocean, for some reason, I really do want to know where the flotation device is. You know what I'm saying? Like, just in case, like, what, what turns into a raft? Is it the cock? Like, I, I'm, I'm really paying attention when I'm on a 20-hour flight. I'm like, okay, you got me. Everybody, shut up. You be quiet. I'm listening. What, ma'am? Come, come, you, okay, got it. And you know what the instructions are, right? If you're flying with a young one, you cannot take the, the oxygen mask and stretch it out and put it on them first. You can't do that. Because what happens if there's a problem and you pass out, you're both gone. So this is the first thing that you have to do is you've got to straighten out that, that cord and you've got to put it over your own head. And then, and then you put it over the head of your child that you're traveling with. Um, Jesus kind of telling us the same thing. Saying, listen, there is a truth that people need to know. They need it. People in your life, they need it. They need spiritual guidance. But before you can place that truth upon them, you first need to accept that truth yourself. You need to apply the gospel to you first, and then you need to help apply it to others. It's a so that. We take care of ourselves so that we can help others. That's the call, okay? So what do we do because of these things? Let's wrap it up. Number one, we kill the criticism. Got to. We've got to kill the criticism. We've got to kill the critical spirit. Remember, uh, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. We said that the, the, the cross was a death of suffocation. Daily, you've got to choke this out in your life. And that's what it's going to take. Daily, you're going to have to strangle your critical spirit. You're going to have to. Uh, when we go on mission trips, one of the things I, I tell our people as we go through mission training, or like no complaining. There's no complaining because where there is a critical spirit, the Holy Spirit is not moving. Let that sink in for a moment. What do you want your life marked by? The power of the Holy Spirit? Or the plague of your critical spirit? That's your choice, right? So we have to stamp it out. We've got to kill it. We've got to kill the critical spirit that we find within ourselves, okay? Two, give freely. Give freely, right? <clears throat> open hearts lead to open hands. Open hands lead to fully, full lives. Uh, I, I don't know anyone that has given uh, and then later said, oh, I just wish I hadn't helped people. I just wish I w- hadn't helped so many people. Like, it just doesn't end up that way. Okay? In the end, you're going to wish you would have helped more people. Give freely. If God's given you blessings, share that blessing. Okay? It's going to result in fullness. Maybe not here, uh, but there is reward in heaven. Number three, uh, do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. It is not enough to like his teachings. We must be like him. Maybe you got to go bring back the WWJD bracelets. I don't care. Whatever you got to do. 
actually do what Jesus did. He really loved people, right? He really had compassion upon people. He really loved God. Just do what he did. Don't just like it. You actually have to live it. It's not enough to like it. You've got to live it, okay? Number four, uh, talk to the great physician about your sin problem. You know what the man in our text needed in the parable that Jesus spoke of? He needed to go see an eye doctor before he could be one. He needed to see one. Friends, we're called to be eye doctors. All of us. But before we can be one, we've got to make sure we see one. All right? Let's do that this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. I pray that um, you've moved in power in our midst. Um, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for loving us so much that in the midst of our sin and rebellion and failure, that you've done all these things. Would you help us um, just receive that word, Lord? Uh, in your name we ask these things, amen. Um, we don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to ask you, just bow your head just for a moment where you are. And, uh, and we're, we're not, there's not going to be any music. We're not trying to get some kind of emotion out of you. Uh, just pray this very simple prayer with me. We try to pray it uh, almost every week here. Just, God, how are you speaking to me? Would you just pray that prayer? God, how are you speaking to me? Am I too critical? Do I need to kill that? Lord, am I closed-handed? Do I need to open them? Lord Jesus, do I just like you? Do I need to be like you? Lord, is there something in my eye I need to take care of so that I can help my brother? Just, Just pray that right now. Just, Lord, how are you speaking to me? Let him reveal it to you. And when he does, just say, yes, Lord, I'll do that.